Whoever tries to hide his sins will not succeed. But whoever confesses his transgressions and leaves them behind will find mercy. This is the wisdom of Proverbs 28.13. Good morrow, everybody. My name is Ben Laboot, and welcome to Stories of Symmetry, revealing beauty and purpose through another look at faith, the sacred, and the stories that unite us all. Don't forget that Practical Advice for a Better World is available from all major booksellers this Friday, February 9th. Additional details are available at bentheboot.com and on my Instagram, at bentheboot. As we discussed last week, the Bible begins right off the bat with an account of creation, in which, contrary to other ancient origin stories, the Israelite God purposefully designed and ordered the universe, creation and all its fullness, and with each addition thereto remarked upon its goodness. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2 continues the creation tale by recounting the creation of humankind through a different perspective than the one given at the end of the first chapter. In chapter 2, the dirt from which we arose and the breath of God which animated us, that duality are emphasized, as well as the paradise in which God placed the humans. And to fledgling mankind, God repeated the commission from chapter 1 to join the Lord in improving the condition of existence, to bring order from chaos, to make the world better than it was given to them. In that pluripotent and paradisical garden, God gave the man and woman another responsibility. God created us as creatures of free will. God demonstrated that personal choice is a divine right, even if it should allow for us to act against what God will prescribe for us. And since the Holy One is not a tyrant whose will is imposed upon us, we were left with a choice. Either lead ourselves or be led by God. That choice was represented as a tree with fruit. To eat the fruit represented choosing to create our own way, to define our own terms such as good and evil. To abstain from that fruit represented following God's way. But, of course, we know which choice was made. It is recorded in chapter 3. The man and the woman ate the fruit and immediately realized that they had chosen poorly. Now it's interesting what happens next. Because they felt ashamed, they attempted to hide from God. And God, well, God went along with it. Walking through the garden, the Lord called out, Where are you? Shyly, the people emerged from wherever they were hiding, and the man explained, We hid ourselves from you because we were embarrassed. After all, we are naked and without clothes. The Lord asked, What makes you say that? Did you eat from the tree of knowledge about which I warned you? Well, um, yes, but you see, it was this woman here who gave it to me. Then she interjected, that's, yes, that part is true, but you see, I didn't really mean to. It was the serpent who deceived me. Damned be the serpent who deceived you, the Lord cried out, and damned be you also. You are forthwith banished from this garden, and hereafter... 
your lot shall be pain and travail. You, your children and your children's children, shall labor upon the soil, and it will no longer open up for you. You shall live with sweat on your brow until the day that you return to the soil from which you were created. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So the first book of the Bible begins like this. Chapter 1, Creation. Chapter 2, Creation. This time with an explicit focus on the creation of the first human. Chapter 3, The first people commit a wrong, are confronted by God about that wrongdoing, and God responds. Now, as chapter 2 mirrored chapter 1, so also does chapter 4 mirror chapter 3. The next person commits a wrong, is confronted by God about that wrongdoing, and God responds. And as the second creation story built upon the first, in a similar way, the second story about God and man's confrontation over wrongdoing is an evolution of the first. Chapter 4 begins with the first two people, who at this point are called Adam, Adam, and Chava, Eve. Together they had two sons, Cain, Cain, and Hebel, Abel. At some point, Cain, who was a farmer, brought an offering from his crop to the Lord. Likewise, Abel, who was a shepherd, brought an offering from his livestock. Now the Lord regarded Abel's offering also, and so Cain felt crestfallen. The Lord approached Cain and inquired, Why the long face? If you do well, I will accept your offering. Be wary, though, for if you fail to do well, you are at the gateway to sin. It is against you, so you must rule over it. Cain went to speak to his brother Abel. Their conversation is unknown to us, but we do know that it ended when Cain rose up against Abel and killed him. Quoting the rest from the Bible, the story continues. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Cain replied, I do not know. Am I the watcher of my brother? And the Lord said, What have you done? I hear a sound. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the soil. And now, damned be you from the soil which opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you wish to work the soil, it will not henceforth give its strength to you. Wavering and wandering must you be on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Here you drive me away, today from the face of the soil, and from your face I must conceal myself. I must be wavering and wandering on the earth. Now it will be that whoever comes upon me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, No, whoever kills Cain, sevenfold will it be avenged. So the Lord set a mark on Cain so that Whoever came upon him would not strike him down. Cain then went out from the face of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, that is, wandering east of Eden. When we learn about Cain in Sunday school, he is the bad guy. After all, he is, here, the first murderer. He committed fratricide against his brother Abel. Now, we don't need to equivocate. 
it's plain that Cain committed evil. It's also true that we can learn from Cain, and we learn one thing in particular when we compare his story to that of his parents. After the murder, the Lord came to Cain and asked him, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? Let's pause the story here and consider, why did God ask this? The Lord knew what happened to Abel, just like the Lord knew where and why Adam and Eve had hidden themselves in the garden. So why this game of who took the cookie from the jar? It is because, just like with a child, God gave Adam and Eve and Cain a chance to admit their wrongdoing. Of course, the hide-and-seek continues. I don't know, Lord. Am I my brother's keeper? Up to this point, we don't know what God's reaction will be. Maybe God had the fury of hell at a hair trigger, just jumping to smite Cain for his evil. Or perhaps, God was ready to absolve Cain of his wrongdoing and move forward with him. In being fair, we have to assume that the Lord was undecided and waiting on Cain's response. If God was going to imprecate Cain and drive him away regardless, then why ask where Abel was? It was a chance for him to admit his wrongdoing, and presumably, if he were to have admitted as much, then God might have looked more kindly upon him. But Cain did not. Instead, he gave a pitiful response that was very nearly an insult to God's own divine omniscience. How should I know? Am I his watcher? Only after this response does the Almighty One unleash with redoubtable censor. What a wrong you have committed. I know, Cain. Do you hear it? Do you? The sound of your brother's blood crying out to me from the soil. So now, damned be you. Damned be you from the soil which opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood which you have spilt. From now on, when you work the soil, it will not yield to you. Because of this thing you have done, I banish you to waver and wander throughout the earth. This whole scene is very reminiscent of one chapter earlier, after God had asked Adam, Did you eat fruit from the tree of knowledge? You see, God gave Adam a chance, urged him, to just admit it. Like a true friend, God will tolerate nearly anything but a lie. I don't care what you did, I just want the truth. And Adam, as we know, prevaricated and denied his own responsibility. Um, well, <clears throat> yes, but it was his woman here who gave it to me. Adam passed the blame, so the Lord looked to Eve to give her the same chance. Will you admit your wrongdoing? And Eve did the same as her husband. She evaded responsibility and tried to pass the buck. Um, well, <clears throat> yes, but it was that snake over there who's to blame. Only after their worming did the Almighty One unleash the same redoubtable censor that Cain would one day receive. Damned be the serpent, but damned be you also. Aroint thee and be gone from this paradise. Henceforth your life shall be moiling hardship. You shall know pain. You shall know destitution. You shall labor upon the soil for your bread, and yet the soil will not yield to you. This shall be your lot until the day that you return to the soil. For it is from the soil that you were created, and to the soil you shall return. So in both cases, people err, 
God asks a probing question. People avoid ownership of their sin. God curses the people. It's also intriguing to note that in both instances, God says how difficult it would be to work the land and bring forth its bounty. The divergence of these two tales is their response. Adam and Chava don't have one. Silence is their reply. Even after God reveals knowledge of their actions, they still don't own up to it. Granted, they don't attempt to correct the omniscient one or deny the accusation, but they don't concede either. There's no confession, no admission of guilt, nothing. Therefore the Lord stood by the verdict and banished Adam and Eve from the garden, going so far as to place a guard at its entrance to prevent their return. But when we consider Cain, his response was quite different. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Here you drive me away from the face of the soil, and from your face I must conceal myself. And now whoever finds me will kill me. Now on one hand, this could be perceived as self-pity. Woe is me, God is punishing me. In actuality, it's a confession, an admission of guilt. Cain said to God, Yes, I did wrong. I am being punished. Since I killed, I therefore deserve death at the hands of whoever finds me. One of the beautiful things about this story is that it alters the course of humanity. Ever since God had created man and woman, they put humanity on the declivity and rolling downhill. It tipped up ever so briefly when Cain decided to bring an offering to God. But then that went south once Cain became jealous of God's favoring Abel also. And humanity hit its lowest point thus far when Cain rose up against his brother, committed fratricide, and became the first murderer. To top it all off, he failed to admit his wrongdoing to God, and so God punished him. But lo, because humanity begins to ascend, after God's repudiation, Cain confessed. He admitted his evil. And here we can see God's response. For God then granted Cain mercy, saying, No, if anyone rises up to kill you, then it will be avenged sevenfold. Furthermore, the Lord then placed a mark on Cain, God's own explicit protection, that he not be killed. And the story ends that, from there, Cain went forth and had numerous descendants that built cities and accomplished much. Now the moral of Cain and Abel is found right in the middle of the story. When Cain had seen God accept Abel's offering also, Cain became frustrated and annoyed. God therefore approached Cain and said, What causes your vexation? Is it not so that if you do well, I will accept your offering? So God said, When you do well, I accept your offering. What's the problem with my accepting Abel's also? But it's what God said next that is perhaps one of the most important lessons of the entire Bible. Be cautious, for if you fail to do well, you will be at the doorway of sin. Sin wants you, but you can rule over it. This is the crux of Cain's story. 
God told him that human nature tends towards sin. Nevertheless, it is for us to conquer it. Here's another way to say that. There is evil in human nature, but we are to overcome and rise above it. Adam and Eve and Cain teach us that the human being, each human being, has both the capacity for evil and the capacity for greatness. Adam and Eve did not rise above their own malinclinations, but Cain eventually did. Cain accepted God's instruction, admitted his guilt, and accepted responsibility for his actions and their consequences. And we, now, have that same choice to make. Either concede to our baser instincts and the evil they entice, or rise up to God's own challenge to overcome sin. This is God's invitation. A Cherokee parable summarizes it like this. Two wolves are warring inside a man. One is evil and vice, the other is goodness and virtue. The wolf which wins the fight is whichever one he feeds. As you go forth into these next two weeks and beyond, I encourage you to strive, as God invited Cain, to rise above sin at whose door we are always so close. Remember that when we fail, God is merciful. And each new moment in our lives is a new beginning. My name is Ben Laboot, and you've been listening to Stories of Symmetry. Whether you like green, black, garlic-stuffed, kalamata, or none whatsoever, get excited for If I Were an Olive Tree, which will be out in two weeks. Until then... Please share this podcast with your friends, family, and anyone else you think might enjoy it. Also, be sure to check out storiesofsymmetry.com, follow at Stories of Symmetry on Facebook and Instagram, and don't forget that practical advice for a better world will be available this Friday. I encourage you to get a copy or two and let me know your thoughts. Until next time, go with God, go in peace.